Welcome to Arts for the Health of It. I'm your host, Richard Wilmore. And I'm Constanza Reader. We're really excited to have you here today. Richard has been planning and scheming about this episode for a long time um, because we're talking to some anaplastologists today, which is a big word, uh, but it's a field that very directly combines artistic skill with medical practice. Um, And this has a very personal connection with you, Richard. Do you want to talk about that? Uh, No, thanks. Uh, Yes, (laughs) I would love to. So not that I don't love anaplastologists. That's not the exciting part for me. Well, it is the exciting part. But I, uh, we're also talking to my dad today, Mm -hmm. who uh, is a beneficiary of this work, who uh, I think has completely changed his entire life and outlook on life. And it's really like... I don't know why it took me so long to put two and two together that this is arts and health uh, because (laughs) I was able to actually watch my dad's prosthetic being painted and made. And I wish I would have videoed it back Hmm. however many years ago that was because it is beyond an artistic talent Hmm. um, and it is completely life-changing. So we get to talk to everybody today about that process. And I'm probably, they're all from Wisconsin. So I'm probably going to break into the worst Wisconsin accent (laughs) ever. As soon as, as soon as they all come on the screen, I will probably (laughs) change my voice accidentally. So sorry about that already. I'm looking forward Uh, to it. Yes. So yeah, they're all here today. Uh, We're live on Facebook and YouTube, and then you will be able to see the, or hear, listen to the audio on Wednesday on all the podcast platforms. So make sure you like and subscribe and all of that fun stuff on all of those platforms. Um, so there you go. Mm-hmm. That's very exciting. Um, do we want to do introductions of the of Julie and Megan? We can do that, right? Sure, go for it. We'll go to them. Um, Megan Thomas is a certified clinical anaplastologist living and working in Milwaukee, Wisconsin with her husband and three-year-old Anaplastology has allowed her to combine her interest in art, medicine, and patient care. As an anaplastologist, art is part of everyday work, every day of work, as she designs and fabricates custom-made lifelike silicone prosthetics for patients who are missing anatomy due to disease progression, traumatic injury, or birth difference. Sculpting, mold making, and color matching are just a few of the artistic skills that go into each prosthetic. Prosthesis. I can read. I promise. (laughs) Julie Brown is a certified clinical anaplastologist. I can say that, but I can't say prosthesis. Okay. Who has created hundreds of custom ear, nose, eye, hand, and foot prosthesis. Is that correct? I hope so. I'll ask them. She is the founder of Medical Art Resources, a specialty anaplastology practice devoted to creating lifelike prosthesis. She earned a master's degree from University of Illinois Chicago in biomedical visualization that prepared her for this career path. And we're going to run our little intro video and then they're going to be out here and we're going to talk to them in just a second. Welcome to Arts for the Health of It, a podcast where you will discover creative ways to improve your health and well-being. Someone may have told you that art isn't for you, but they were wrong. Anyone can create arts for the health of it. No talent or experience necessary. I'm just a little songbird 
try to fly my way homeward with the melody, and I make the beat. Don't know where it'll take me, take me. 'Cause when I'm in the dark of night, I sing my way back to the light. Come along with me, and your heart will see that a song changes everything. Oh. Good morning, ladies. Good morning. There they are. Thanks for being here. Thanks for inviting us. Yeah, thank you. Um, can we start off kind of by each of you introducing yourselves? I did both of your intros, but kind I would love to hear from you what you, what your version of what you do every day. Do we mm -hmm. want to start with um, Julie? Sure, sure. I am one of the luckiest people in the world because I have loved going to work almost every day of my life. Um, we have the luxury of working in healthcare, but using our art every day to help people. Adding to that, when we are working with patients, we're spending long amounts of time with people. So we actually get to know our patients and I think the healthcare system makes it difficult to make those connections with people. So between using our art and um, our skills that we improve constantly, I feel like at this stage of life, I'm, um, I'm still learning things every day from each patient and for, from each case. So um, mm. I guess that's what we're about. That's awesome. Beautiful. Thanks, Julie. All right, Megan, you're in the hot seat. <laughs> Thank you. Um, yes, I have to echo what Julie has said. Um, I just feel very, very lucky to have found this career um, because I also just love coming to work every day. I know that's not the case for everyone. And we just have this amazing opportunity to spend time with patients and meet patients um, from all over Wisconsin, all over the United States, sometimes from other, other countries even. Um, and that time that we get to spend with them while we're doing something that we love is just pretty amazing that we have that chance. So I really, really love it and feel lucky. That's awesome. Would, wouldn't you like to define anaplastology for us and make sure we're saying the terminology correctly? Maybe Julie? Sure, sure. I, do, I didn't want to over, over speak here. Um, anaplastology is a word that was coined, let's see, I might not get this right, but I believe around 1987, 86, something like that, um, by a gentleman named Walter Spohn, S-P-O-H-N. And um, it was for, it was, the word was coined at Stanford University when he started a program focused on creating prosthetics with a lifelike appearance. So the difference between our field and the orthotics and prosthetics field is that almost everything we create is, well, everything we create is custom made, but almost everything we create is, um, is designed to blend with surrounding anatomy. So mm. when we've done a good job, no one notices what we've done. Mm. Can you share some examples of what types of prosthetics you might make? I have photos. <laughs> oh. oh, okay. Well, while you explain. <laughs> so
So um, we make any prosthesis for the face because of course, if the prosthesis does not blend in when it's a facial prosthesis, it's not going to help that patient uh, carry on with their life without their um, facial difference being, being the first thing people notice them for. What patients tell us is that whatever they've been through, whether it's a birth difference, traumatic injury, or cancer surgery, they don't want to meet a person and have their difference be the focal point. Mm. They want just their personality to be the focal point, not their difference. Mm. So, so um, we make eye prostheses. It might just be the eyeball. It might be the eyelids and more extensive tissue, nasal prostheses, ear prostheses, um, really anything on, on the face. Wow. We also make finger prosthetics because um, even if someone has just has lost a fingertip, that can be a real focal point for the patient because they are looking at their hand constantly. Um, mm. We all are as we express ourselves and carry on activities of daily living. And also foot prostheses, breast prostheses, that natural appearance, you know, really make a, makes a difference. Wow. Uh, I wanted to say that I will be showing some photos, but don't be like scared people who are watching that you're going to see like blood or like inside of like they're they're very well edited and photographed photos. So you don't have to uh, prepare yourself, but they're they're fascinating to me. Um, I have a question for both of you. It's a very scientific and art background. Do you have a, a favorite part or was it the fact that you could combine both of these that was so um, uh, interesting to you? Hmm. Um, I, I can, this is Megan. So I um, had always really loved art, um, but it always sort of felt like I needed a very specific motivation or reason for doing art. And I also was interested in medicine um, when I was growing up. So um, being able to combine the two was was really helpful. And I really, I think I really like both sides of, both sides of the work that we do. Um, it's a balance and um, there's a lot of problem solving kind of from both sides of things. Um, so it keeps things interesting. And it's a little different for every patient that we work with, even if it's the same type of prosthesis, um, you know, each patient is a little different. So it keeps things um, interesting each time. Hmm. So when I was in school, um, we were our first, our first year in biomedical visualization, we were taking all the same classes as the medical students. So um, because there are so few of us, and actually it's a medical illustration program primarily, we were just thrown in with the medical students. And pretty quickly, the medical students learned they wanted to study with the biomedical visualization students because we were really visual people and we would diagram out anatomy when we'd have dissection and we'd be the best co-teachers because we were really visually oriented. So I think the two things um, really go hand in hand. And anaplastologists generally, when we go to conferences, we have a blast together because we have so much in common. We're, we're equally interested in um, that anatomy and the human body, which is something we all share and identify with and, um, and art and being able to help people. So, hmm. um, yeah, it's a lot of fun. 
it sounds like it might be fitting into this niche of people that are very artistic, but also like STEM, you know, are interested in, in science and um, biology. And I, I resonate with that. You know, I was one of those kids where I, you know, I was in the physics club and I really loved science. And that's one of the reasons I like arts and health too. It's this, it's this marrying of this, um, of the right brain and left brain. It's, it's, there's a holistic aspect of it, I think. And it sounds like you're, you're bringing that very human, um, an element of, of humanness and holisticness into, um, into medicine with your art. I like to see, I like to see STEM. Um, I like to see STEM becoming steam. Steam. Yeah. Um, Add that art because I do think they complement one another and squeezing it out, just squeezing the art out of it just leaves a hole, I think. Totally agree. That's a whole other episode. (laughs) (laughs) How long, uh, maybe everyone is different, but like what's an average length that you spend with a patient to, to make these? So it's usually um, a series of appointments. So we meet the patient initially um, for a consultation to provide information and take a look at their specific situation, answer their questions and show examples and that kind of thing. Um, And then it depends a little bit on the type of prosthesis, um, but it's usually about three to four to five appointments to get everything done for one one prosthesis. Um, And so each appointment, because everything we do is very detailed, um, you know, could be more than an hour, sometimes much longer than that, honestly, mm-hmm. for a larger prosthesis while we're getting all the details just right. So it really is that just kind of like what, what you were just saying, um, there's that that warmth and human side of things that I think patients experience with us because we do spend so much time with them. We get to just chat while we're working. Um, and that's that's really nice and you know a different experience than we often get when we go to see a, another healthcare provider when things have to kind of go quickly and you don't get a lot of time with the with the healthcare provider. Um, we just get to hang out for a long time while we're sculpting or mixing color or whatever step of the process. And it sounds like the focus is really on the satisfaction of the patient that that the end product is something that they approve of and i feel like that is also probably an empowering experience what do you guys what have you guys experienced with that that's that's such a good point um we're we're not creating you know i think it's it's different in art when you're creating something to express yourself Mm. and we're not expressing ourselves we're expressing the patient so if we don't get to know that person and if they don't have a chance to go through the process so that they're starting to incorporate this prosthesis into their own body image, I think we would be doing them a disservice. As much as 3D printing can help us and be a tool for us, I think that process is really important. We, we're hands-on, we, we take a facial mold gently, we um, develop a wax sculpture that we try on the patient repeatedly. Their family members can give can give feedback. The patient gives feedback. All of that is part of the process. So we don't own the prosthesis, and we are well aware it's not about us. Mm-hmm. Um, the the patient 
needs to own that prosthesis. And I often tell people when they come back for a follow-up, you can tell if they own it, you know, mm. you can tell if they feel comfortable in it. And if they don't, then that's something, you know, we need to talk about. And it's not, we're not performing surgery. So the worst thing that can happen is, you know, we do it over. So yeah. <laughs> that's one thing I love about our work. It's not stressful in that way. Hmm. That's it so was, cool. It was yeah. almost uh, calming to watch you do it on for my dad. And, and what I think is really cool is that, and may, I don't know if you, if this is for every person, but you literally just stood there with this, white piece of silicone or whatever it is and you just painted and he watched and to put it up to his face and then take it down and put it up and like you got to watch this entire thing and it was very relaxing to watch for some reason mm. i remember like certain bits of that where i was like all of a sudden you would see the person's my dad's face forming in your hand and you would look in your hand and sort of see a section of my dad's face, which is creepy, but so <laughs> cool. Like it looked like you just like peeled a piece of his face off and then you had it in your hand. <laughs> On that note, should we bring your dad out? Sure. Let's, let's talk to someone who's had this done Yeah. and uh, how that has changed their lives. We're going to take a break and then we'll be right back with my dad after this. Whether you consider yourself a musician or not, music is all around us and it affects our everyday lives. Whether it's background music influencing our shopping habits in a store, organ music adding the vibe to a baseball game, or a playlist convincing us to keep going on that last mile of a run. I'm Mindy Peterson, host of the podcast Enhanced Life with Music, where we take a holistic look at the power of music in our everyday lives through the lens of science and health, sports and entertainment, business and education. You can find me and Enhanced Life with Music at mpetersonmusic.com slash podcast or wherever you get your audio. Unleash the power of music. Make your day richer with The Richard Wilmore Show. Meet amazing musicians, talented actors, brilliant authors, hilarious comedians, and the most creative people in entertainment. Download the KP Media TV app to watch on Apple TV, Roku, and Amazon Fire. Medical professionals are burning out at an alarming rate. Burnout can cause health workers to feel hopeless, trapped, helpless, worthless, depressed, sleepless, and tired. By joining the Hearts Need Art Gratitude Grams program, medical staff receive a personalized email and video from a musician, an artist, or writer once a week that includes a message of thanks, an encouraging song, uplifting poem, or a simple art activity. After watching their Gratitude Gram, participants report feeling more hopeful, empowered, energized, and appreciated. If you are or know a healthcare worker that would like to receive free Gratitude Grams, please visit heartsneedart.org. All right, we're back on the longest commercial break ever known to humans, apparently. <laughs> My dad, David Karlinski, is uh, joining us. Hi, Dad. Hi, Rich. How are you doing today? We're all doing great. How are you? Cold. <laughs> He's in northern Wisconsin, and there's 27 feet of snow. I'm ready to come back down by you. Well, we'll talk about that after. Uh <laughs> 
So you've you've been listening backstage for the past 15 minutes with Julie and Megan. And I kind of want to go through your story quickly um, because you had a very long cancer journey before you were able to get your prosthesis. So you were diagnosed in 1992, correct? With your first cancer. Yeah, I, I guess. <laughs> okay. And good, thing, good thing I'm here. And yeah, then do you, remember what, do you remember what year it was that you got your first uh, prosthesis? Oh, geez. I don't know. It has to be. We were, Megan and I were just talking about that the last time I was down there. I and I can't, it has to be 10 years maybe when I got it. You've had it for or 10 so. years. That sounds about right. I think that's about right. Because I've, well, this is my third one, my yeah. third prostate. So usually every, what, three, four years I get one? So yep. I, I'm thinking 10 years ago. Okay. So when you first were diagnosed with cancer, the first thing to be removed was your eye, Yes. Correct. Yes, I had a tumor underneath my eye, so they had to remove that. And they decided that the best thing for you, and I'm going to show a picture of this, was to put a patch on you. So that's hmm. you with a patch. That's what I wore for quite a few years, actually. Hmm. And how did that make you, how did that change the kind of the way you felt about yourself and the way you lived in the world? Well... You <laughs> you get a lot of people asking you where your pirate ship is, Aww. or um, <laughs> and you have a lot of people asking you questions. You don't you don't blend in anymore. Hmm. You stand out when as you put that on, and you have a lot of people that gawk at you, you know. And then you get the comments of, you know, what happened to the other guy. <laughs> um, or boy, your wife must have really been mad at you to do that to you. So it, it gets tiring after a while. Hmm. And it's it's just the point where you, you, you just don't blend in anymore. You stand out. And I, I, I never liked that part yeah. at all. So that must have been several years before you were able to then get a, a real prosthesis. Oh, Yes, because it kept coming back and coming back. The my cancer. cancer more and more left. I mean, I ended up losing, well, my eye and half of my nose. Um, so, and then they wanted me to wait five years in between so I didn't have cancer. In fact, I think I went to Julie when, when you first started. I think we talked about this that way long ago. I went to you. You were in another another building. Mm -hmm. I believe you're just just starting out in that, and uh, we came and talked to you. Well, then half and I had more stuff removed, so then we had to extend that period. So it was quite a few years that I had a patch on, or some other thing other than what I have now before I finally got to the point. Um, so well, let's it, say it was. It had I have twenty years that I had a patch on of some wow. sort around. 
Yeah, so it it kept so, progressing and more of his face kept leaving. Uh, so at, before he was able to actually do this, this is how mm. it ended up was, let me see if there's a better photo. Uh, that's how every day was for you. Hmm. If you're just listening, if you're just listening, um, the patch grew over most of, um, that's the right side of your face, right? Yeah. Yeah. Hard to blend in, yes. like you said. Mm -hmm. So can you tell us about that first experience when you were able to get your first prosthesis with Megan? Oh, it was, you, you could blend in, hmm. you know, it was just. It was amazing, and it, it's so lifelike. I mean, I've had people look at me and not even realize I have a prosthetic on. It blends in so well, and it was just such a relief. I didn't have people coming up. As you could see, it was it covered half my face when I had the uh, gauze on and that, and it was just such a relief to walk through a crowd and not have people stare at you or not have people come up, like you say, and what's the other guy look like? And that, mm -hmm. it, 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 it was amazing. You know, it, it amazes me every day when I put it on, how, how now I can just blend in. I'm, I'm like back to normal, as much mm -hmm. as normal could be for me. <laughs> I remember one of the things you said before you got it, uh, um, I I don't even think Davian, my nephew, was born yet, and you said I want to make sure this is fixed so they never have to ask me about what's on my face, like mm. my grandkids. Like I I don't want my grandkids to ever have to ask about it. Right. Hmm. Can yep. you? And oh, sorry. Go. But my my kids still at. Nyla, my granddaughter, she is like amazed at it because uh, we play hide and seek when she was little, and I would only close the one eye, and she always thought I was <laughs> cheating on her. <laughs> but she kind of, she kind of amazed because every time I see her when she was younger, she would tap on my eye. She was just amazed at it, you know, but um, they have, they have never seen me, which I am so glad they've never seen me with my thing off. Cause it's not good to see, you know, um, hmm. but it, it, it's just amazing to have it on and um, getting to know, I mean, when I'm down on there, it's usually about three or four days and you really get to know, the person you're working with, like with Megan and I, we sit when somebody's two feet away from you, staring you in the face, you get to know them real well <laughs> as she keeps trying it on. And we, we talk about everything. I mean, hmm. uh, we've really gotten to know each other really well. So. It, it seems like it's almost a, it's like a form of like portraiture that there's this, this intimate, um seeing that's happening and you're really looking and trying to reflect this person accurately um i just wonder julian megan hearing what is it what does it feel like to hear the kind of impact that your work has on someone 
Well, it, it makes our work very satisfying, of course. What could be better than feeling like you've had a positive impact on someone's life? Um, not much, not much can, can be better than that. Um, hmm. And it's it keeps us always striving to do our best. We're very engaged in continuing education, anything we can do to keep improving because you also don't wanna disappoint someone. Hmm. Um, you know, you really, feel compelled to make sure that what you're giving them is going to serve them well. Mm. And Megan, and this, this yeah. is your work. Yeah. And Julie and I have, have both worked with Dave over the years. And I just wanted to add to, to what Julie said. Um, you know, we're so lucky because yes, we may, you know, we make an impact on our patients, but they make such a huge impact on us too. Mm -hmm. And it's amazing. I mean, sometimes it just feels I don't even know how to describe it, but like spending time with what they've um, for many hours, we take a long time to do many things. Um, so those longer appointments, you know, it's it's about the process is about him, of course, but we spend so much time chatting and getting to know each other. Our patients are just so remarkable. Like he's asking how things are in my life and remembering things that have happened in my life. And that's just like you can hardly believe it. It's just really amazing to get to know people on that level and in that situation. Hmm. That's really cool. Is this a service that is readily available to people? We're a very small profession, so it access to care can be challenging. Um, you know, we're lucky that we're in Wisconsin for Dave, but he has to drive a long way to get to us. And that's the case for many patients um, because our profession is just so small. So that would be something um, really helpful in the future um, if technology allows care to be more accessible to people. Um, that it would just be very helpful. You know, we get in inquiries from people all over the world, and some people just aren't able to travel as far as they need to to reach someone who can work with them. So it's mm. definitely a challenge. Mm. I mean, it seems like such a no-brainer for something like this to be available because so many people go through different things. What do you know? Like, what is causing it to not be available? Like, is it that intersection of of art and health that like not a lot of people are doing, or why is it not as available as it should be? I think we're a bit of an orphan profession in a sense. Um, so the program that Megan and myself and co our colleagues in the office, Aaron Stevens and Michaela Calhoun, the program we graduated from at University of Illinois no longer has an anaplastology track. Hmm. Um, when I went through the program, I helped develop the anaplastology track, the portion of medical illustration focused on lifelike prosthetics. And um, that program was suspended a number of years ago, largely due to politics, in my opinion. Hmm. Um, and it's not been reestablished. Johns Hopkins is has just now launched. Uh, will be they'll be starting in the coming year. They'll be starting in the fall of 2022. A master's program specifically devoted to anaplastology, and hmm. that is what our field needs is a, a very tailored program in anaplastology. Certification is very important in our field because you can imagine if a patient is provided a prosthesis that is poorly fabricated, poorly designed, 
um, aesthetically unsatisfactory, any one of those things that can be harmful. And um, so we are really intent on this profession, you know, people being certified so that patients can trust that they're going to be in good hands when they seek care. Hmm. Hmm. One of the things that comes back to mind is this idea of giving someone back their their right to privacy, that their their um, their ability to move through the world um, more seamlessly. Um, Dave, I wonder if you could talk a little bit about how you how you wish people would have responded to you and how should people respond to people that they encounter that do have obvious um, an eye patch or something, an obvious physical difference. I wonder if you could speak to that. People that might not have access to um, a prosthesis like this. Um, uh, as far as, jeez, uh, I don't know how to, how to <laughs> say this. <laughs> um, I don't know. It's just that I would tell people, you know, what I went through, and then you see other people, you learn, you don't gawk at people. Um, and, and I realize a lot of people, you know, are in my in the same boat I am. And uh, it just, I would tell people, you know, be more caring towards these people, not going up and gawking at them and asking them questions and that. Um, mm. And or making pirate jokes. <laughs> I mean, I, I would recommend, you know, if somebody had this, you know, uh, defect or something to do it right as soon as they could, because it's just, it, it's life changing is what it is. Mm. Um, it, you have so much, I don't know, uh, you feel better about yourself. Mm. I would, I would say one you know, once I had this, I felt so much better and uplifting in that because it was, um, like I say, I like I just blew in. You know, I, I'm back to my normal self instead of mm -hmm. always having a patch or something on. You know, um, which was mm -hmm. it, it's it's hard to explain once you you go through it. You know, and it's. Um, how 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 I feel in that it I don't know how to put it in words it's just like I say life changing mm. um, when I watched the whole process going about I I actually could not believe I was having this done um, to see how it was I mean I had my eyeball made in Madison and I had to carry it down to Julie and hand it to her <laughs> and let her go. And um, Julie came up to Marshfield and did the plaster uh, mold and that. And just to watch it being made is, uh, is amazing how they do it. Because I can't, I can't draw a stick, man. <laughs> Very good. And I'm, I'm not lying. And to watch Megan and Julie, like Richard said, it's just a clump of silicone and over the course of a couple days not even even the first day you're looking like holy christ that that's me 
right there. And uh, it, it was just amazing to watch it. And when I got the first, very time I first got to put it on and look myself in the mirror after 20, 20 some years, my youngest, he does not remember me with two normal, with, um, without even having a patch on. He was that young. And to look in the mirror and you got your life back hmm. just like that. Um, it, it was something else to see, you know, um, like I say, it was 20, 20 some years of having some sort of a patch on and wow. all of a sudden within seconds you put that on. It's holy crap. That's how I look hmm. <laughs> or used to look, you know, it, it's, it's something else. They, they they both do such an amazing job. I mean, like, and I'm glad Richard and my other son, Robert, got to sit and watch the whole thing, um, hmm. the whole process of that. So that was kind of special, too. I didn't have to go through it alone. I had, hmm. you know, two of my sons there watching it and interacting with everybody in that. So, yeah, it, it it's just amazing. Yeah. I remember... I was in second grade when, when my dad lost his eye and I was out of college when he got this. And mm -hmm. I remember almost being weirded out to see him with a full face because I didn't really remember. There are pictures of him with two eyes before 1992, but like, I don't remember that because I was so young. So to see him not with everything almost, I was like, who is that? Like that's the, it, it didn't seem like him and it took a while to actually get used to seeing him staring back at you like that not blinking but staring <laughs> maybe that was the weird part i was like what's happening like are you looking at me or are you not looking at me but that i mean that on the opposite side of that you know like he felt like such a like a human being finally and then those of us who were used to not seeing him like that were like that's not you like it mm. felt very strange wow it's such powerful work i just I'm thinking about people who might be listening who didn't know that this existed, that maybe know someone or they themselves could benefit from this type of work. Um, Megan or Julie, how would someone go about finding more information and finding a, a practitioner or provider that can do this? Um, so I think it helps a lot and it can be a little tricky to, to know where to start. You're right. Um, because many, for many of us, we don't know that this is even an option. Um, I do think it's important. Julie was saying certification is important in our profession. So finding a certified clinical anaplastologist, if possible, um, is a good approach for, for patients. Um, there's a lot more um, out there on social media. So that could be a way for someone to connect initially, just looking for lifelike prosthesis or looking at anaplastology or other things. Um, but there's also a list of certified clinical anaplastologists um, on the website for the board for certification in clinical anaplastology. I don't know if there's a way that we could share links to things after the podcast. Um, there's also the International Anaplastology Association, um, which I think the website is anaplastology.org. Um, you can find a list of anaplastologists there from around the world. Not everyone is certified, but it could still be a good starting point. Um, and we have a lot of good information on our website, um, medicalartresources.com. 
um, just to kind of give basic information, answer some initial questions, and then we're always happy to just talk on the phone, um, message on Facebook, Instagram. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of different ways to get in touch with us hmm. and kind of go from there. Thank you. And there's absolutely no way to get a hold of my dad. So <laughs> he has a flip phone, and so don't try to contact him. Uh, if you have questions, contact us, and then I'll call him, and, and we'll figure that I out. I, I have my email address now. No, we're not giving that out because you don't even know how to check that. Um, I, have, I probably I wouldn't be able to check it anyway. Exactly. He has two emails I'd have to because call he forgot one of them. Exactly. <laughs> um, I don't want to put my dad on the spot here, but I, and I usually cry on this podcast, so I'm going to try not to, but I want to thank both of you really for giving me and my my family, my dad back. Uh, he didn't smile a lot and he was a completely different person than he was before. And, and uh, he's a completely different person. Now he's more outgoing. He's smiling. He's laughing. He, he is what I remember as a kid of having a father. And there was a long time where it was just, you know, this, you could just feel the sadness in him. And uh, so that's it. I just wanted to say thank you. Well, now you got me crying. <laughs> we're so grateful to have met all, both of you. Um, it's the, it's amazing too when we work with patients. We often get to meet family members, um, and I just I really appreciate both of you sharing your own experience because even though we spend a lot of time talking with patients, we don't always kind of talk about the larger picture. And it really means a lot to, to hear that. So I really appreciate it. Thank you both. David is a, a wonderful example of how resilient people are. Mm -hmm. And um, we meet people on a daily basis who are just remarkable. And he went through a particularly difficult um, journey given that his cancer recurred and that makes it very difficult to move forward. So um, David gets an extra resiliency award because it wasn't one and done for him. He, mm -hmm. you know, he, he's really had to um, power through that. And I just wanted to mention that we don't work alone. Um, so David mentioned that his, the eyeball part of his prosthesis was made by an ocularist in Madison, Wisconsin. That's Dory Hosek. And he mentioned Marshfield Clinic and um, that's where he received much of his care. They placed, the surgeons there placed implants very much like dental implants, little tiny screws into the bone. And then his prosthesis snaps on magnetically. Hmm. And that's true for many of our patients. So the, every prosthesis we make is a removable device. It's not something that's permanently affixed to the patient. Hmm. So patients have daily wear and care and um, we, we work with surgeons to help develop a treatment plan that identifies the best location for implants so that the patient can manage the prosthesis with some ease. So, hmm. um, so he, and, and Costanza, you mentioned the right to privacy, and that is what many people talk about. They, a person doesn't always want to talk about their cancer journey. Sometimes mm -hmm. they might but many times they don't want to. And so for someone to ask about whatever their noticeable difference might be, 
you know, goes down a whole path that they might not be in the mood to go down that day. Mm -hmm. So privacy is, is important to us all. Mm. Thank you. Thank you guys both for what you do. It's beautiful, sacred work. And um, obviously you can see the impact with Richard and Dave and every patient that you work with. So Thank I was, you for your dedication. I was going to make a joke about now yelling at my dad for sitting in the sun like he is right now <laughs> and how awful that is for himself and for his uh, prosthesis. And I literally just got a message from someone that said, can you talk, can you ask them about care of, of the prosthesis and sun fading and not sitting in the sun? <laughs> you want me to move? <laughs> well, no, no, we're live and no <laughs> also we should have put a hat on you but can someone can someone kind of um talk about that about the care of it um uh and the do's and don'ts of what you're supposed to do with it yeah um and dave you can chime in too if i'm forgetting things since you're the one who has the experience of wearing the prosthesis but um it's actually pretty you know the, the prosthesis itself is durable so um it can stand up to quite a lot, but it does need to be cleaned ideally daily. So Julie mentioned the prosthesis doesn't stay on all the time. So for most patients, um, they put the prosthesis on in the morning and they remove it at night before they go to sleep. And so when you remove it at night, you clean it um, using rubbing alcohol or dish soap and water, basically just trying to remove like skin oils and other things that might get on the prosthesis during the day. Um, and, you know, avoiding, like you said, sunlight can contribute to the prosthesis fading over time. Um, but although they're, they're durable, they don't last forever. So the other thing is just, um, you know, kind of coming in for regular maintenance appointments. We can clean the prosthesis and touch up the color and help it last a little bit longer um, until it's time for a replacement. Hmm. Thank you, Julie. <laughs> Were there any other questions that came in, Richard? No, but now I just had a question. And this is, I mean, I know we're super over, so I'm so sorry, everyone. But now all these questions are coming up in my head of, of um, um, payment for this, like insurance coverage of stuff like this, since it's so specialized. So we do have procedure codes for facial prosthetics. And because Medicare policy um, does cover because Medicare covers facial prostheses, all uh, that kind of trickles down to other insurance, private insurance. So um, facial prostheses are a covered service basically by Medicare, Medicaid. Um, it should be covered by Medicaid in every state, but sometimes we have to educate um, folks in different states where they have not had these codes be used. So um, it should be a covered service. Hmm. That's good to know. Yeah, thank you. Hmm. Any final words from everyone? Dave, you have any last minute comments? Um, I'll be calling you, uh, Megan, because I have to order <laughs> some stuff. But this is not this is not a phone yeah, call. This is not a phone call. Yeah. In general, to the people you can't listening. Can't ship it when it's cold. It'll probably be July up here before you can That's ship true. it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> That's so it's so nice to see all you guys. You it's too. really nice. Thank you so much for including us in this experience. Thanks and it was it's really nice to see you, Dave. 
Well, thank you so much for coming on, all of you. Oh, also, I want to say happy retirement to Julie. She's retiring at the end of March. So congratulations, and we will miss you a lot. Thank you. Thank you. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to miss patients and their families both. So I have to keep um, privacy laws in mind. I can't be checking up on people, but people can stay in touch with me. So yeah. We'll just do a podcast every six months oh. and then you can check in. <laughs> Sounds good. Well, well thank, thank you all, all thank so you. much for joining us today. Yeah. Bye, you. Dave. Bye. Right, we're going to kick them off and then we're going to try something <laughs> new and we'll see if it works. Goodbye, everyone. Bye. Thanks for being Bye. here. Bye. Thank you. Oh, my head's way too big. I'm going to change that. Okay. <laughs> Richard, you kind of held it together there. I know. And then they were talking and I was crying and I was like, should I bring it up? But I'm already crying thinking about Aww. what I was going to say. But it, it's true of, of, what this does to not only the person but their entire family is like it you could see the change in him and i don't even i don't even know what kind what he would be like without this mm. and, uh there's so much tied up in it like personhood and you know self-image and um all the social implications mm -hmm. of having visible differences. And uh, it's just such a beautiful gift to give people. It's there's something so very, um, uh, so very like intimate and sacred about it. And I just, you know, I think about the role that artists play in healthcare, just in general, that, that gift of time and presence and just really listening and, and, and sitting and, um, learning about people and letting letting the person in front of us um kind of direct the the art and that's what they do even even in this and so it was really cool to to see yeah i'm glad that um northern wisconsin internet was working today <laughs> yes during a snowstorm so we could actually hear him and talk to him um and i'm glad that uh we could talk about it because i think yeah. it's very very uh important and life-giving in many ways i think yeah that was really cool all right everyone thanks for listening <laughs> thanks for watching thanks to everyone who was on today and uh make sure you like and subscribe wherever you're watching or listening mm -hmm. we'll be back every wednesday with new episodes and live videos and all the other things we come up with and hopefully less crying next time <laughs> yeah okay right <laughs> okay <laughs> not true all right Bye, everyone. Bye, everyone. <laughs> Thank you for listening to Arts for the Health of It, a podcast produced by Hearts Need Art, creative support for patients and caregivers, in partnership with the National Organization for Arts and Health. You can help others learn about the healing power of the arts by subscribing, sharing, and reviewing the podcast wherever you listen or watch. The podcast is hosted by Richard Wilmore, co-hosted by Constanza Rader. Our theme song, Songbird, is written and performed by Natalie Lane. Visit heartseedart.org to learn how you can support our mission to create joy with people facing life-altering health challenges. Join us next week to learn more ways you can create arts for the health of it. The views expressed on this podcast do not necessarily reflect the views of Hearts Need Art, their staff, board members, or other affiliates. All content is created for informational purposes only. This podcast is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice or to diagnose and treat any health condition. 
Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified health professional with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition. Never disregard professional medical advice or delay in seeking it because of something you heard on this podcast.